Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, welcome to episode three of Run This World. Today's episode features Carrie Gilmartin, the founder of Bamboobies, a company that was created to solve women's nursing issues and has evolved into so much more. Carrie is a starter. She's a fearless leader. She is not afraid to speak her mind, especially on matters that many people consider taboo, specifically women's body parts, boobs, nipples, leakage. These are all words that she utters many times a day without blinking an eye. In today's episode, we cover so much more than Carrie's current business brings to the table. Like most people, Carrie's background gives insight into how she tackles issues both big and small. We talk about how we, as humans, are wired to seek control, but how the majority of things that happen in business and life are outside of our control. We talk about how some people are also wired to be starters and that starters need to be unafraid to fail. And we discuss how failure can be the best learning tool in life. I also learn about a right brain, left brain thing that happens to new moms. I love this part. As Carrie puts it, um, the left brain controls reason and the boring stuff. And the right brain controls the creative and your gut instinct. So you'll, you'll, you'll hear more about why new moms get this creative urge after having a baby. We talk about why she started a company that is tackling a tough, often uncomfortable topic and how pure intentions are very important. We also get into the topic of breastfeeding and share some pretty personal stuff about ourselves. It was interesting for me to learn that the U.S. has different standards for breastfeeding than the rest of the world. And finally, we end with a few nuggets about how you can get more in tune with who you are by thinking about your own personal mission statement. Going through this exercise will allow you to do a better, more consistent job of listening to yourself and trusting your gut, which will encourage you to never discount your power. All right, everyone. I am so excited to welcome Carrie onto the show. Thanks, Nicole. Well, Carrie, it sounds like it's a really nice day here in Boulder and you really want to be outside, but I'm making you stay inside for this (laughs) podcast. I'm so sorry. That's just a little too breezy, I'm afraid. (laughs) Yes, we'll talk about breezes later. (laughs) This is going to be a show all about women's body parts and all kinds of stuff beyond that. But so you know what, let's loosen things up. And before we really get started, I want to get our terminology straight. So we're going to spend some time talking about women's boobs. And I want to know what do you call them? Boobs. Oh, it's that simple. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of words for them. Um, we use the word boob a lot in the office, nipples or nips, sometimes breasts. Uh, <laughs> we have a, we have a lot of products that had to play on words with those kind of things in them, which is keeps things light. Oh yeah. I mean, you, 
the amount of amazing feminine energy walking around your office, it's mind blowing. I mean, you know, I own a women's company too. I'm not, I know what women's energy feels like. We have pink walls, Mm -hmm. but uh, when you walk into Bamboobies, wow, it's pretty amazing. It's such a great group and we've got great natural light, kids drawings everywhere and boob stuff everywhere. So yeah, it's fun. (laughs) So, you know, do men like walking in there? Are they, you know, every guy would be like, I'd love to hang out in there. And then what, are they like intimidated or is it? They usually are like, just they get a little bit goofy. Like, you know, they can't believe that this is happening to them sort of a thing. And like, are you sure it's okay if I say this word, especially to a woman, you know, we're like, yep, go ahead and say it. It's fine. And oh, I um, love it. I love it. Well, dads, they appreciate the products and they know that their wife, our partner is super happy that they're going to come home with a bamboo bead little gift for them. So it's, we make them heroes. Very cool. I love it. Making them heroes. Well, we're all heroes. You know, um, I want to kind of give everybody a little insight from you as to, you know, your background in general. There, a lot of people have ideas and they're driven to start companies. And I want to find out what drove you to start this company. So, you know, I know your background. Anybody can get on LinkedIn and see you went to a great college and you got your MBA and you did some real estate, but this is very different than anything you did. So maybe take us on your path a little bit. Well, I think um, having a business background is helpful. It eliminates a little bit of fright in terms of what running a business is like and what that background is good to have. Um, but what really makes you fearless is failure. So I had worked in venture capital. Um, I'd worked in several businesses that were sort of at the intersection of environmental benefit and business, things from wind energy um, to ecotourism and things like that. Um, and also at the Nature Conservancy, working with businesses to promote change uh, through that nonprofit. But then from then on out, I started several businesses and they, for one reason or another, uh, never really took off with the exception of real estate, which it didn't take off in an agency sense, but just in the sense of me helping other people on an individual basis. It was a great um, and rewarding way to make a living. But none of my big businesses made it. Uh, I would say- So wait, is this this why they're not in your LinkedIn profile? So what big businesses? I don't, I might not even I'm not probably doing a very good job with my LinkedIn profile. I think my picture is about 15 years old. <laughs> um, yeah, I started um, in between my two years in business school, a wind energy services company uh, north of the Arctic Circle in Alaska. And I worked with a guy who owned a wind energy turbine manufacturer, and he wanted to start this services business. And I said, I'll go do that. That sounds fun. Um, uh, hello. I'm sorry to interrupt, but most people wouldn't say that sounds fun. Well, most people looking back would be smart to have said that. Um, it was 1998 and the internet was booming and all my business school colleagues went to San Francisco and made a bunch of money. And I went up to this town that was a native town, like I said, north of the Arctic Circle on what's called the Chukchi Sea. And it was summer the whole time I was there. There was snow and ice that held the sea, this so-called sea, locked up for the majority of the time. The sun never went down. You couldn't go out for big hikes like I was imagining. 
because of the bears and the blueberries. And those two things were sort of inseparable. So it was it was an adventure, but it was not what I dreamt it would be. Business-wise, it was started off to be a success. We put together a good business plan, partners for financing and uh, first customers, and worked out all the details between the two of us. And then I went back in the fall to business school in the Alaskans said, thanks for the idea and bringing this all together. We don't need any help from lower 48ers, they call people from the South. Um, we don't need any help from you guys. We're just going to do this on our own. So we were oh shut out. Yeah. So some things, you know, they're just beyond your control. Culture is important. So that was that. Um, Culture is important, actually. That's a big one to uh, maybe yeah. come back to later. Yeah. And not having control is always hard. Uh, that's one of the temptations of entrepreneurism. But it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's just a it's a false sense of control, too. But when you really think you have control, you still don't because you've got customers, sometimes financiers, that you'll always be serving, I suppose. You know, one of the lures of becoming your own boss is you think that you are in charge and um, that control is... Uh, very alluring, um, but you're always beholden, for better or for worse, to your customers, your financiers, um, you know, and the, all the externalities around that. So it's interesting and always good to keep in mind the cultural barriers, their government things, or all kinds of things that are always beyond our control, even that when is we do very true. People. One of the neat things about that business, other than getting to, you know, live north of the Arctic Circle and one of the most beautiful places on earth, and start a business that was innovative, have, you know, the double bottom line or triple bottom line effects of it. You know, I really, the learning that I took from that was that you can do everything right. And there are still going to be things that are out of your control that prevent you from prevailing. And in this case, it was, you know, it wasn't government intervention or, you know, a general market collapse or anything that you normally will think about. Um, It was just that there was a cultural phenomenon going on here that we had no control over. People in Alaska really don't like intervention from the rest of the U.S., from the federal government or lower 48ers in general. And that was something I never you know, knew anything about or could have guessed because I just felt like I was doing good and would be appreciated and it was a good business idea. So the learning was just that, you know, the allure of independence that entrepreneurship promises is real, but that you're never going to be in charge of everything. And uh, that's true. Control, you can't ever control everything. Uh, we all know, oh, it's risky, but the risks are like uncountable. There are things you would never dream w- would go wrong. And it's almost every day that we're like, oh, it's always something. <laughs> that's funny. I wonder what it's going to be tomorrow. You know, it's funny. I think so many people can relate to that on all kinds of levels, whether they're entrepreneurs or not. But that's entrepreneurs true. have to have an especially high tolerance for the unexpected damage control moments. <laughs> uh-huh. And it literally well, is always something like every day. It's, oh, I never could have guessed that would happen. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's really good. It's a wild ride. Well, let's take us, um, let's, can we go on your personal life wild ride for a minute? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. I love that. Okay. So you're up in Alaska and uh, were you married then? No. I had a boyfriend that was partying it up in San Francisco during the boom days of the internet boom. And um, 
we wound up going our separate ways, but staying good friends. And probably um, it wasn't maybe five or six years later when I got back to business school, I wound up starting a software company with a young undergrad dropout engineer kid. And I'll tell you a little bit about that story if you want, but it wasn't until I gave up on that failing business that I moved back to Colorado where I grew up. And almost as soon as I moved back home, I met my husband, Eddie, through a mutual friend. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. You really got around, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Um, but how funny, like starting companies in so many different ways. And I do want to hear about starting company with this sort of tech dropout guy. Tell me more about it. <laughs> yeah, he was just a cool kid. I think he turned 21 when we were first starting the business and just a really eccentric um, young engineering school type um, who, of course, aspired to be the next Bill Gates. And he started a company around a really big collaboration software idea. And he needed somebody who was fearless and had some experience with entrepreneurship and raising capital. And I did. And um, I thought, well, I missed the internet boom because this is, you know, the end of 1999, beginning of 2000, when things were really starting to blow up in a bad way. Um, And so I went ahead and thought, well, you know, I don't really care about software, have any interest in it or, uh, any passion whatsoever about software, but I did know that um, collaborating with other people in the Microsoft Office suite is a huge chafe and there had to be an easier, smoother way to do it. And that's where his idea was. So it was fun and interesting ride and it was several years. You know, we raised capital even though uh, the market was starting to go south. Learned a lot. Uh, I'd say the biggest learning was that, again, lack of control was an issue for me, I'll say. We had a first round investor who was great to support our business in the early days, helped us raise capital um, a couple of more times. But one time we were going to raise close to $10 million for a Series B, and we were going to be closing on September 1st. And we just thought it was any September 1st. And when the last investor's money wasn't in escrow yet, we said, all right, we'll wait. We've got, you know, most of the documents signed and most of the money in the bank. Let's close on the 10th. And we had all the legal done by the 10th, but there was the last um, venture firm's money wasn't in escrow yet. And they promised to wire it that afternoon or the following morning. Well, that following morning wasn't any September 11th. It was the September 11th. Oh, and that my. Just, yeah, it, it hurt us, in a, you know, not in a way as much as that hurt a lot of people, but it hurt us. Wow. I mean, that's, you get good luck, you get bad luck. That was bad luck. It was. Um, You know, we felt lucky to be unscathed physically by it, but I wound up, you know, we had 35 employees at that point and I had to fire most of our engineering staff, figure out a way to pivot, figure out how to scrape together cash or just save cash. And we limped along for a little while. um, And then we had some other bad turns with our investment. partners. And we've, we finally walked from that. And that's when I hit the road and decided to come back to Colorado, be with my family, regroup, figure out what I was going to do differently. So it was a good experience. So did you already have kids during this time? No, no, I hadn't met my husband. I'd, I was living in um, Washington, DC, where um, I'd, you know, gone to college and then went to UVA near there. So 
that was sort of where I knew people and where it was easiest to get contacts with investors and things like that. So, you know, you're one of the best connectors I've ever met. Every time I talk to you, you're like, oh, I'm going to introduce you to like four people and they're all these amazing leads. I can see where you got that now. (laughs) I can see where you got it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just, I think we can all help each other so much, especially when we're out on our own doing our own things. That's very true. Well, let's, uh, that, I mean, your background is, it's so impressive. I mean, you've oh, run thanks. businesses at different scales. You're clearly someone who likes to start things. <laughs> so how about starting a conversation about boobies? Um, you tell, let's talk a little bit about how you started Bamboobies, the next phase of your life and where you are yeah. now. Gosh, it's been so fun uh, from the very beginning. You know, other things I did, I didn't know everything about what I was doing. They were you know, I wasn't a software engineer or a mechanical engineer, so I didn't a lot of times understand the nitty gritty of the businesses I was involved in before. Um, but this one, you know, it came out of a personal need. I had my my son, and then when my daughter was born, she was probably like three or six months old, and I got this creative urge that I hear is pretty common among new mothers because of a right brain, left brain thing. I just had this absolute creative urge and I was helping a friend who was starting a clothing line trying to use um, eco fabrics and I was just researching. I was really turned on about um, eco fabrics and all the things that people were doing with them, including cloth diapers and things. And I was breastfeeding my daughter, but um, as was true with my first, I was very leaky. So I'd be breastfeeding you know, the baby on one side and the other side with just be spraying milk. And it was ridiculous. I would wake up in pools of milk. I just, I think I had enough milk for at least twins, maybe triplets. And it wasn't just supply. It was this, this super annoying leaking situation. And I'm not the only one who had it, thank God. But I was shocked that there weren't better products on the market. And I hate to, I don't know if there's a word for it, uh, the opposite of misogynistic, but I hate to sound anti-male, but I was imagining these big companies like these Proctors and Gambles of the world, not really understanding or caring about the plight of new moms and how this breastfeeding can be really difficult and difficult on a couple of different levels, physical, but also emotional. You really don't feel great about yourself. You're exhausted. You don't feel pretty by any means. Your body is an, is a foreign you know, alien body, it feels like almost. And if you're leaky, the last thing you want to do with these extra big boobs you've suddenly got is walk around with pads that are visible through your clothes. And if they leak through, when you leak because they're just a couple layers of cotton, it just feels like something's wrong here. How is it that somebody has a product on the market that's just cotton round pieces of fabric with no moisture barrier? So that was what I discovered was upsetting. And there is an alternative. They're plastic um, and uh, pulp pads that are just like disposable diapers. Unfortunately, they make that crinkling noise when you walk and move your arms, just like you hear when little babies have got crinkly diapers on. Are you kidding? I I, See, I didn't know about any of these other products because all I used was bamboobies. Oh. So, wow. You really, you really made a revolutionary change for women. It's a confidence thing. Yeah, it is. It's just plain happiness, too. It's like our fabric is so amazingly soft. And basically, I was using uh, cloth diapers on my daughter. And 
somebody sent me some cloth wipes, which I thought sounded pretty over the top. Um, they were small squares of this really soft bamboo velour. And I started putting them inside my bra because the fabric was really soft and absorbent. And it has a unique property that um, holds body heat. So it doesn't get that cold, clammy feeling like a cotton t-shirt if you're exercising well. So it really is perfectly suited for a nursing pad, really. Um, I wasn't going to do anything about it. But one day, right before I fell asleep, I thought of the name Bamboobies. And it was like I shot out of bed and I was unstoppable ever since then. It was not only was there a real need, it wasn't just personal. This is something that happens to, I'd say, three quarters of nursing moms. But with the goofy name, I just felt like, oh, this is going to be fun. So I just, I trademarked it that night, staying up till midnight. I've never registered for a trademark myself before. I started researching fabrics, found cut and sew seamstress houses um, here in Denver, bought a sewing machine, started experimenting myself, had some help from my stepmother, who's extremely crafty. And just kind of got to work having fun with it. You know, there's so much in this segment. Um, One of the things that really stood out to me is you said, well, I got this creative urge. And you kind of shared the story how that urge came out. But you mentioned that it was a right brain, left brain thing with new moms. I have no idea what that is. Oh, well, I I heard, when I read about this, I said, absolutely. You know, sometimes when somebody tells you something, you're like, that's true. Well, your baby's born. And if you think about it, they have no ability to reason, right? They still don't. <laughs> <laughs> but they really, you know, they don't have any understanding of anything. So, yeah, they're just crying. But there was something, a study I read about that said that mothers' brains will actually change after birth so that they can better communicate with their baby. And you know when you hear about pregnancy brain and uh, yeah, and then you hear about mommy brain, yeah. and then people say, I still have mommy brain, and their kid's like 10. <laughs> I, I relate to that now. So this is like truly a scientific chemical thing that happens in our bodies. That's what I've heard. So, you know, the left brain is what controls, you know, reason and the boring stuff, and the right brain is the creative, more emotional, and that kind of thing. If you think about it, that's what you need to communicate with a newborn. That you know, gut instinct, creative, in tune way of thinking is the only thing you need to get through. Um, so amazing. The, those, those times, those moments, they're like a fog. Uh-huh. And so it does make sense because you live in a fog. Your brain does have to change in order to adjust to the demands of the moment. I think it's true. I mean, you can find a study to support anything, but I think it's pretty true. Well, that's true. I mean, if I want to drink a lot of coffee, I'm going to find a study that says it's good for me. Yep, that's right. Totally. Um, <laughs> okay, so so you you were just like a woman on fire, and that hasn't yeah. stopped. No, and it's funny. Um, sometimes I'll thank my husband for being so supportive because I was bringing home a lot of money um, when I was doing real estate really actively. I had a brokerage with other people working for me and I was partners with my brother in this little company. And that was satisfying because we were helping people and also because I was supporting our family, but it wasn't uh, that intellectually stimulating and it wasn't new ever. It was just, you know, new customers, but it wasn't, it wasn't invigorating. So it was, you know, a discussion in our family as it should have been. Hey, uh, if you're going to be spending a whole bunch of time on this crazy idea, uh, can you keep doing real estate? Because that's really good money. 
And I did. I kept doing a little bit for marital happiness and balance and just sort of slowly weaned off of it. But I'll thank my husband sometimes for being supportive and letting me go for it and stuff. And he laughs and says he wasn't supportive. He just got out of the way. That is a really good way to put it. But honestly, that's really true. And sometimes you need to do that. We all, like you said, we try to control our lives and the things in our lives. And once you have kids, you realize uh, very little control is possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably good training for entrepreneurship, actually. That's true. (laughs) Um, I'm going to give you three, I'm going to give you two choices. We need to leave in three minutes. All those little tricks. (laughs) Oh yeah. Make them feel like it's their decision. Uh-huh. <laughs> Love it. So, so you're in the nursing game. At least that's where you started. I mean, I clearly remember going through. So let me backtrack. I have one kid. She's four now. I breastfed her till she was 22 months. Good for and you. I didn't know anything about breastfeeding. I thought it was a little intimidating to me. I always thought it was weird when I saw someone breastfeeding in public. I didn't get it until I was in her shoes. Yeah. And I realized it's the most beautiful thing you can possibly do. And I didn't want to give it up. Um, and I became one of those bolder women who I actually said, I will never breastfeed a child who can walk and talk. <laughs> and then I realized like, that's the dumbest thing in the world. Why would I limit myself? They're not related so, at all. Yeah. I mean, what was your experience even? You breastfed all your children, right? Yeah. And I didn't know what I was doing. I'd actually grown up being a tomboy and never babysat. Well, there was one time I babysat and I I, I called my mom to come get me. I didn't have any idea what to do. I had never changed a diaper before I had my own kids. I was just not in tune with that at all. I was just figured I'd have children, but I didn't. I didn't know too much about it. And as far as breastfeeding goes, I went to a little half hour class. It was really all about pumping, not breastfeeding, because there's no way to teach somebody to breastfeed before they have a baby. And I had my own problems. I had mastitis several times um, and other issues that come with having an oversupply, because it's sort of always something. Um, But after I got through the rough spots in the beginning and those surprises, it was always very easy. And um, I'm lazy. I didn't want to do dishes or deal with bottles and all that. So it was just the easiest, you know, most beautiful thing after we got through the rough spots in the beginning. So I nursed, I had three kids all two years apart and I would nurse one until the next baby came and nurse the other until the next baby came. And then after my third, you know, there wasn't another baby on the way. So it was harder to quit. (laughs) It's just such a nice, sweet thing. And my third is not a sleeper. So we fell into that rut that a lot of people fall into of co-sleeping and nursing in the night or the early, you know, 4.35 a.m. hour to just get a little extra sleep in. So I didn't nurse him very much, but he nursed until almost four. And it was just, you know, once or twice a week, maybe at the end there. Just oh uh, really big. And it's work. funny. Like I, I clearly remember that Time Magazine cover where they showed a woman who yeah. was nursing a kid who was like four. Yeah. And it, it's controversial. I mean, yeah, it, it's controversial in this country. The World Health Organization says that you should breastfeed a child until they're three. Like that's a health thing, not a cultural thing. 
Um, That's very true. I mean, I think we're a little backwards in some ways in in the United States as far as different health issues go, like natural child rearing and stuff. Yeah, it's getting there. It's getting better and better. But the more people talk about it, the more I think it helps. I was with a friend with a new baby, probably three months old yesterday at a photo shoot. And he asked me how long I breastfed our kids. And until you asked me today, I've almost, I haven't been asked that in a long time. It's like people don't even talk about it. Sort of because they're scared of an answer like the one I just gave you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. Now everyone in the world is going to know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a, you know, it's a personal thing. It's not like talking about sex, but it's almost like that. It's very intimate and a personal decision every time. It's different with every child. A lot of people have sad experiences where their children have self-weaned at 18 months or something, and they thought they'd go till four, um, or they couldn't breastfeed at all for one reason or another. So, You know, um, I think another part of this issue is that Yes, it's very personal, so it can be hard to talk about. But then there's women who can't breastfeed for some reason. And um, and there's a lot of oh, depression and other issues that come with that and this idea that, oh, I have to feed my child formula. But there's really nothing wrong with that either. And I believe you're making products or have some ideas for people who uh, are also going down that route. Yeah, there's no judgment. I think a lot of people need to do a little bit of both. Um, one of the women who was at the photo shoot yesterday had preeclampsia, which is a very scary, serious situation at the end of pregnancy, was in the hospital. And many women that go through a traumatic birth experience can't breastfeed. And they're not making a choice. Uh, A lot of people have had breast reduction surgeries or implementation surgeries and things have gone wrong and they can't breastfeed. And then there's just the everyday plain vanilla reasons people can't breastfeed. One or another, it's a complicated system just like anything so no judgment here as long as baby gets fed and is um fed you know nutrition and love from a parent that's you know that's what they need to make it in the world so that's what's important that's very true so i want to talk a little bit about your products oh yeah so we got started as i said you know with nursing pads because that was the thing that bothered me the most and sort of where the creative idea had come from i thought that if this is going to be something that absorbs, it needs a waterproof barrier. So I modeled it after cloth diapers and put a waterproof material on one side and this soft absorbent velour on the other. And I found some really neat, powerful eco fabrics that are doing a neat job. Hemp and bamboo are both four times as absorbent as cotton. So the pad could be thin and not show through your shirt and then also not leak through. And uh, those washable pads were our first product and those are kind of still what we're known for. We're just next month turning six years old as a company. So that's been our mainstay. Like I said, it's our most differentiated product and what we're most known for. But then we well, and an organic. Let me just interrupt to tell everyone that you are being sold around the country. This isn't just a little company who's selling at the farmer's market in Boulder. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But this is a company that has actually made it. I mean, six years, that's a big deal. Yeah, thank you. We couldn't have, you know, done it all by ourselves. We started off with great partners in specialty um, wholesale stores. So your independent, usually mom, even sometimes nurse-owned maternity store that sells cute clothes and also breastfeeding support products. 
were sold in about 300 or so of those stores across the country. And then about three and a half years ago, we got started in Babies R Us and Bye Bye Babies. Just this last summer, we launched in Target. And this year, we, in the middle of the year, we'll start selling in CVS, Walgreens, and Kroger grocery stores, um, Whole Foods, Vitamin Cottage, and other small natural chains, natural food chains. Oh, my God. Okay, so how do we invest? You're on a fast track. (laughs) You know, all those bad experiences I told you about in the beginning of the show have led me to not take any money from investors this time because I can't control that. And have really kept me conservative and just on the organic growth path. And it's been really nice. You know, okay, I've got a few really kind of fun questions here as we as we hit the end of our 5K, as you know, the podcast is based around somebody listening to it when they're out for their three mile run. Um, So let's, I want to ask you, this is, could be business product, whatever. What is the biggest bomb you've ever had? Biggest problem? Yeah. Like thing you thought was just going to win it, kill it and totally sucked. Okay. We have, in the beginning of the business, we always had our products made here in uh, Colorado. Our sewn products, our nipple balm and other things are still made here in Colorado. But our pads, we had cut and sewn here, but had to bring in the fabric from China because that's where the pandas and the bamboo are, right? Well, as we grew, um, we had problems with costing and the costing as an activity and also the actual raw cost of our products and we wanted to bring that down and I decided to try to go to a manufacturer in China. Well, I kind of didn't have the balls to do it myself. I'd never been to China. It sounded very risky to get involved and create copycats probably and all that. So I used a sourcing agency because I was too chicken to try and do it myself. I feel like I I wanted to depend on an outside contractor to help me find and manage a producer in China and we had one good run, meaning like one good container of goods come over. And the next one, which was much bigger, uh, was a disaster. The boxes that the product is packaged and sold in were not properly glued. And some of them were discolored, not just a little, but a lot, like not really saleable on shelf. So we had to reject that shipment and we had to leave 40 grand on the table to walk out of the contract with that company. And Oh my gosh. And in the beginning, so 40 grand, really, that's a it's really stressful. It's a lot of money. That's all you had. Yeah. You know, that was actually last year. Um, and at the end of the year, I was looking over my uh, financials and saw that 40 um, as some mystery loss. Um, line item. And it actually made the me mystery smile. loss. You got to love that. <laughs> yeah. It actually made me smile. I just thought, well, that was the right decision. You know, leaving that 40 on the table and walking and getting out of a bad deal with a company I didn't trust was absolutely the right thing to do. It really hurt us. And I wound up going to China three times in one year, which was no fun. But I found a great new partner that I'm working directly with, have better control over, better, you know, fewer cooks in the kitchen and um, a much better, stronger, more long-lasting, I hope, relationship where we're getting better product, better packaging, everything. So, you know, you God, live and learn. Well, you you turned the negative, you know, into a learning curve and that's all you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So 
That's pretty cool. I mean, I think your beginning message was that failure is very important. Yeah. So I think we're hearing that again. Um, okay. So you've got a, a vision that's bigger than your company. Yeah. And maybe you can share what that is. I'm not going to paraphrase it for you. Well, you know, it's not just mine. I suppose it was probably when we made our first website, I thought in the About Us better page better have a mission statement because this isn't just pro breastfeeding. We don't really care if people breastfeed or not. We're trying to support other moms. I was so surprised that breastfeeding was hard because it was. It was hard, painful. I felt like there's no way I'm going to make it past two weeks of this. Um, I felt unsupported and I really was surprised that I was surprised by that. Everybody talks about birth. You expect birth to be hard. You get all this prep for it. And then you're home and the day you get home, you're left on your own. And this, you you really hit a, a wall with the breastfeeding thing. It's, it's rough. So supporting people who do choose to breastfeed is part of our mission. But there is an underlying mission that is also environmental in nature and trying to do what we can with packaging, with our production, um, with the materials we choose to always make them as clean as we can. So we'll have you know, 100% organic salve that is a um, nipple balm and it's certified organic, which makes change. Even if people are buying this in one ounce increments, you know, every little choice you make like that makes the planet better for our children. And we can't, we can't go through life not thinking about that at this stage. So, you know, I think you're absolutely right. It's, uh, it's got to be a group effort here. <laughs> Keep yeah. our world going. Yeah. And I'm every, it's not just me. It's not, it might've been me writing that mission statement a while back, but it's true of everybody on my team. We all really do think about it. And, uh, you know, you make decisions sometimes like we've got a new disposable pad and we, I was given a choice by our manufacturer about the plastic on the back. He said, I can either make it biodegradable or breathable. And a lot, oftentimes a woman's nipple will be cracked, sometimes even bleeding, like your worst case of um, chapped lips. And we wound up going breathable because the more I learned about biodegradable, which, by the way, means something will biodegrade in a thousand years in a landfill, I realized that didn't really matter. And this was so little plastic compared to what was going on in the rest of the world. So we chose a premium plastic that would be more um, create a healing environment for a mom's roughed up nipples. So, you know, every day you're given choices to make, whether you're bringing your own coffee cup to the coffee place that you go to or picking what kind of substrate you're using on a breast pad. <laughs> um, you know, um, this is really cool because it makes me think about the idea of mission statements and how important they are to have on your wall so you can look at them when those hard decisions come. And I think about people in general, and most people, if they're not running a business, don't think about their own mission statement. And I would encourage people to do exactly what you did. What's important to me? And when yeah. you're faced with those tough decisions, you'll be able to make it based upon your own values and how they align with, with uh, your mission. It's true. It's also uh, helpful for everybody you wind up hiring that you surround yourself with, whether they're contractors or not, to know what you stand for and not push you on it and know that they're part of that ecosystem too. 
I agree. Well, we're running a little long today. Our, our run's going to be three and a half miles because I have another quick couple quick things. <laughs> um, I you got to go on bamboobies.com, B-U-Y bamboobies.com and watch this freaking video. It is so awesome. (laughs) Harry, you launched it. It is, here's what I love about you. You're not afraid to have a little edge. It is an awkward and uncomfortable conversation sometimes. And the way that you gently add humor and maybe not so gently, (laughs) it, it really helps loosen things up. So tell us quickly about that video. It was literally just plain fun. We thought, you know, we're a small company with almost no marketing budget. We need to do something that's kind of breakout and something that helps people understand that we're uh, we're not just another company that has like soft, gauzy pictures of mom gazing into baby's eyes blissfully because that's not life. Um, we get it. You know, these millennial moms um, that everybody is talking about. They're just real people that are just like us. They don't need to be talked to in a different way or anything like that. Um, And people, I think, do appreciate a sense of humor around something that's serious and difficult, often emotionally and socially charged, like breastfeeding. So, yeah, we just made a funny video sort of for the hell of it. We had a good friend who just got out of going back to animation school. He was looking for work. So I said, hey, you want to help us with this idea? And it took a lot longer, a lot more money than we thought, but it was very fun to do. All right. Really quick. The idea is based around your icon, your logo, your symbol, correct? Yeah. You know, the girl that we call Brandy, because she's like our brand symbol, is kind of like the bathroom symbol. That's the universal girl, but she's got a little bit cuter dress and hair. And hearts on her boobs that are like the hearts on our breastfeeding pads. So she kind of comes to life in the video. It's cute. It's sort of a love story. Yeah, with a little uh, X-rated in the middle. I love yeah. it. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. All right. Well, let's let's end it today with um, with this question. All right. If you could give people one golden nugget, something that will help them run their worlds more positively... From your experience in in this world, what would it be? I don't know. I got to think about that for a second. But I I guess I would say to listen to yourself. You know, if if you're thinking you want to be an entrepreneur, but you really have a high risk profile, you 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 don't feel comfortable doing it. You would like to be able to do it or something, and you don't feel comfortable doing it. Uh, don't do it. Listen to yourself. If you are going to be an entrepreneur, you've decided you're already on that track and you're meeting with an investor that you think would be the best investor you'll ever get. And you, um, on paper, everything looks perfect, but your gut says, I'm not so sure about this guy. Listen to your gut and don't do it. If you think you're too scared to do things a new way that everybody says isn't the way that things are done, but you really think it's going to be better if you do it that way, listen to your gut. I love that. You know, it's super simple. I personally find myself coming back to that sort of, I don't know, resolution every year because we all tend to walk away and we listen to other people and we're, you know, worried about the wrong factors sometimes and we lose touch with ourselves. I think it's brilliant advice for anybody, whether you're in business or managing your, your household for that matter. It doesn't matter. 
Oh, it's yeah. Great you, advice. You go to the doctor and your kid says, your doctor says your kid's not sick and you really think there's something wrong with your kid. You know your kid best. You, you know, even in, that's especially good example. You know, somebody that has the accreditation, we give them our power instead of listening to ourselves and we wind up regretting it a lot of times. It's, it's that same situation, whether it's an investor, a doctor, you know, service provider, what have you. All right. So let's just say don't discount your power. Yeah, that's a good one. That's it's even real. better. All right. Awesome. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for being one of my very first guests ever. You did a fantastic job. We love you. Um, and I'm going to send everybody here who's listening, you're going to go over to buybamboobies.com because if you don't need her products right now, you know other people who do or will in the near future. So Carrie's doing great things in this world. Thanks again for being on the show. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Nicole. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Run This World called Trusting Your Gut with our guest and friend, Carrie Gilmartin. Be sure to share it with your friends and be sure to follow me and Bamboobies on Facebook and Instagram. Bamboobies is giving you a special offer of 25% off your order on buybamboobies.com. That's B-U-Y bamboobies.com. Be sure to use the discount code SKIRT25 at checkout. All right, everyone, you know what time it is. It's time to run this world in a bigger and better way than you have before. So have a great day, and we'll see you next time on Run This World.